0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but to your name above. O oh Lord, we come this morning because we desire, Lord, not only to hear from you today, for you to speak to us, but we desire that your name might be glorified in our presence today. Oh, Lord, please, we pray that through your Holy Spirit and your word, that you would work in our hearts to come to love you more fully. Lord, that you would cause us to walk by faith and to delight in who you are and what you have done in our lives. We pray, Lord, for those that do not have eternal life, that they might come to know you this day. We pray in your name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So do you ever stop to, and just think about your lives and the things that influence your lives? You know, especially those things that majorly influence you. Well, one of the the things that our men and our women are doing on Saturday mornings is working their way through a book entitled Caring for One Another by Ed Welch. And he points out how there are certain things in our lives that that greatly influence us. And one of those things is the relationships that we have with one another. Those things have a great influence on our lives. But he also talks about how even our bodies greatly affect uh, who we are. Now you think, well, my body is part of who I am, and it is, but your body also influences you as well. As you wrestle with sickness and other things like that, it can become even a great difficulty. And even the circumstances, obviously, that we go through greatly influences us. But while these things influences us, they don't control us. They don't make us have to respond to life in a certain way. And I think about after Jesus died and he was resurrected and and uh, came back to life uh, the the ministry of the apostles and even just the change that took place in them. And particularly Peter. We talked about Peter in Sunday school because I think many of us can relate to Peter's impulsiveness when he was here, when Christ was here upon earth. But it was interesting to, to see Peter be such a man of boldness after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a man of of humility. and And even the apostle Paul you know, wasn't a man who was greatly influenced by circumstances. Uh, I'm not saying these men weren't at all affected by that, but there was something that was greater at work in their lives. And so you hear Paul say things like, for me to live is Christ, and to die is Is gain. You see, Paul wants us to understand as we come to our text today the extravagance and the extensiveness of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and how that affects our lives, how that is to influence our lives. That God is at work in the hearts of His children. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has come. And that for those who have received this salvation, Nothing, now listen to this, guys. Nothing has been withheld from God's children that can bring them blessing. Amen? Nothing has been withheld from God's children that can bring us blessing. It's not that God sort of parcels out the blessings of the gospel in our lives a little at a time, but it's given in all of its perfection and fullness when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and brought to salvation in Him. Now, that's not to say that there aren't future hopes like glorification when we close our eyes in death that we will experience, but uh, that salvation is complete already that God has accomplished this salvation for his people. Now that doesn't mean that the Christian life then is just a a humdrum life or it's just a static thing. The Christian life is an unceasing exploration and ever deepening experience of the spiritual blessings that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit give to us. Now I don't know if you've ever known of a couple who's been married 30, 40, 50 years. And if you ask them about their relationship with each other, uh, they would probably admit to you that you know, life has had its ups and its downs and stuff, but it's just been a delight to be together as husband and wife. And that even after, let's say, 50 years, they're still learning new things about themselves, about each other. You know, It's like you would think after 50 years, I'd know everything there was about her, but just the other day we were talking about this and such, and I learned this. And if that's true in human relationships... How much more is it true as we come to know our God and come to walk in him? Jesus is the living water who continually satisfies our thirst for life. He is the true bread from heaven who satisfies our hunger. And he is inexhaustible. And so the Christian life and understanding of the gospel is a great thing. So no wonder Paul says to the Ephesians, Blessed be our God and Father. Uh, Because he just breaks out into praise. If our individual and corporate Christian lives should characterize anything, it should entail joy and thankfulness and glorying in the God of our salvation. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 Exactly. You know, I, I appreciate how one pastor put it. He said, our public worship services should pulse with the wonder of sinners forgiven by grace and blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing by a loving Heavenly Father. He said the reason our worship services don't always throb with life is not because our liturgies are inadequate, being too formal or being too informal. But he said the reason is more basic and serious. He said it's because we are not captivated and overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the gospel gets deep into our hearts and our lives, it stirs us to worship and to praise Him. You know, no wonder Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 2, 3, he talks about so great a salvation. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us that this so great a salvation is not a potential blessing that we can anticipate. There are future aspects, as I said, in terms of fulfillment, But it's a present blessing and a joy even now. And I want to ask you this morning, is salvation for us simply a state of being or is it a relationship we enjoy with Him whom we were once enemies? Would you describe your life as being blessed beyond comprehension? That God has blessed you greatly. Paul tells us that so great a salvation that these saints in Ephesus have come to possess originated in God's sovereign electing love, which we looked at last week. The salvation doesn't begin with my choice of Christ, but with God's choice of me. Even before the foundation of the world, he says, before you or I or anyone else was born, the Father chose us in Christ. But he goes on this morning. We're going to look at verse 5. Yeah, verse the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5, where Paul says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And I want to apologize to you. I really wish I could have preached through verses 4 through 6 complete because I think there's this beautiful picture and having to break it up like this, it just, oh, it's just it's just an unfortunate thing. But there's so much that's here that we just had to break it up over two weeks. But if God's election highlights his sovereignty and salvation, his predestination highlights his purpose in salvation. The words uh, predestination and election are often used as though they were synonymous. And it is certainly true that both refer to the same doctrine, but they convey slightly different ideas. Uh, To elect, as we saw last week, means to choose. God elects, or he chooses a people for himself to be saved into glory through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the predestinate emphasizes the goal of the choice. It means God determining something in advance. It is God's plan of electing some to be children and heirs in his family. So God says, I'm going to choose these people To be my children. And then he doesn't stand around and go. I hope it works out. I hope it actually happens. He actually predestines. That we would be. His children. And the blessings that we're going to be looking at. That we looked at last week. We looked at. looked at this week. And in the weeks ahead. Now lest you think that this is just uh, something that's taught in Ephesians, let me share one other verse. There are many other verses, but we just don't have time this morning to look at all those. But turn over to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 29. And we read this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, I chose this verse for a reason out of all the verses that talk about predestination. uh, Because some Christians have insisted that God's election follows his foreknowledge. Which it does. It, It says that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. But they teach that God... Foresees who will believe. That God looks down the corridor of time from eternity past. He looks down the corridor of time and he sees who will choose him. And then when God sees who will have faith in him, then God chooses that person. Well, there's a number of difficulties with that view that I want us to look at this morning. Uh, first, the word translated foreknew Means to know beforehand. It means to select in advance or a point beforehand. So in the definition of the word itself, is, it doesn't really describe why God foreknows or chooses such a person, but in what sense did God know those whom He saved beforehand? Well, there's no question that God has, that God possesses perfect knowledge of all creatures and all events, right? God knows everything from the beginning to the end, that God is not bound by time, and there's never been a time when anything past, present, or future is not fully known to him. But it's not his knowledge of future events, of people what people will do, which is referred to here in Romans eight twenty nine and thirty, because Paul says that he foreknew those whom he predestined, he called, and he justified. So we're not just talking about God's general knowledge of humanity, of knowing all things. He foreknew them in a specific way because then those who he foreknew, he predestined, and he called, and he justified. I also want you to notice that the text doesn't say that God knew something about particular individuals, that they would do this or that. But it states that God knew the individuals themselves, those whom he knew he predestined to be made like Christ. Now, it's interesting if you uh, turn back to Genesis 4.1, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. But back in Genesis 4.1, it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. That's a very intimate act. That Adam knew his wife and she conceived. What's interesting is that in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word that's translated new is the same word that Paul uses here in Romans 8, 29. So the word for new seems to have with it that idea of uh, being for loved or being loved. Those who were the objects of God's love, he marked out for salvation So this idea of predestination and love go hand in hand. And that's why if you want to flip back to Ephesians chapter 1, we read in love he predestinated. That the idea of God's love and predestination go together. It's interesting that if you look back at the Old Testament, when God talks about Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 and 8 or Deuteronomy chapter 10 Verse 15, God says, I chose you as a nation, not because you were great, but why? Because he set his love upon them. Now, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, some of your translations, if you have the ESV, which we use here as a church many, you'll see it says, in love he predestined them. But in some of the translations, like the New King James, it talks about how God elected us to holiness and blameless in love. They put the in love with what comes in verse 4 as opposed to what comes in verse 5. But I think because of this idea, the meaning of foreknowledge and predestination, that actually the ESV is a better translation. Now, let me just say this. I am like skimming over this really fast. If you want to read more on this, I actually posted an article on our website under the worship resources. I have a place where I can put stuff for the Ephesian sermon series. And you can go there and read a whole article on For and what that means in scripture. It goes into much greater detail. But I want us to see that God's predestination is rooted in his love for his people and reflects his holy passion to give them his best. Now, Let me just add on to that a little bit more. If you look at uh, Ephesians uh, Ephesians 1, verse 5, it says that he predestined them according to the purpose of what? His will. So it wasn't that God looked down through time and he saw what our will was, what our choice was going to be, and therefore he chose us, but he predestined us according to his will. If you look down at verse 11 in Ephesians 1, it says, According to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of what? His will. Our salvation comes from God and the purpose He has for our lives. From eternity, God ordained whatsoever comes to pass. This plan of God was settled from all eternity and from the beginning, God's plan or counsel for the ordering of all things is most wise and holy because God is wise and holy. Now, brothers and sisters, here again, I just want to reiterate what we talked about last week. That does the Bible talk about the fact that we are called to obey the Lord, that we are to choose this day whom we will serve? Are we called to, to make decisions? Yes, yes. But it also teaches that God elected and he predestined us. And you say, Pastor Rick, how do you reconcile those two? And I would tell you I'm not God and I can't reconcile those two. But I know that the scriptures clearly teach those and that we are called to believe what the word of God says. So we are predestined in love. But what are we predestined to? We are predestined, as we see in verse 5, for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's idea of adoption here seems to be drawn from the Roman civil law because adoption was very common in the, the Roman society and adopted children enjoyed the full rights in, of uh, natural-born children. Adoption uh, generally involves sons because people were, uh, wanted to carry on their family name, they wanted an heir for the family, and so they would adopt a son. And as Christians, I th- you know, we oftentimes speak of being sons and daughters in God's family, which isn't wrong per se. But when we speak of the doctrine of adoption, there is a male distinction that's included in heirship. In other words, what I'm trying to say by that is, is that daughters <laughs> didn't inherit in the Roman world. So in respect to adoption in Christ, all believers are sons. Okay, It's a lot the same way as we talk about... The bride of Christ. Are the men in the church part of the body or the bride of Christ? Yes. So I think we get hung up sometimes of wanting to be, you know, uh, politically correct and, you know, make sure that we talk about sons and daughters and all that. But I think when we do so, we sometimes miss the nuances of what Scripture is trying to teach us. And He wants us to see that as sons of God, that we are heirs of God, that we receive the blessings of that family relationship. You know, one of my favorite uh, stories is Uh, Ben-Hur. Lou Wallace uh, wrote it. It's about a a Jewish prince who was taken as a slave by the Romans. And later, uh, he saved the life of a Roman consul who adopted him as his son, where he received his father's signet ring and all the power and the authority that went with that. And that's a picture of us who are in Christ. It's that rise from slave to uh, being an heir that depicts the elevation of us who were shameful sinners who were now marked as holy in Christ and adopted as his son. I think the thing that's interesting is you look at the Roman uh, process of adoption. There was sort of an elaborate legal procedure and it culminated in the father presenting his son before the Roman magistrate. And when this happened, it caused a change of status so radical that all the past debts and obligations of that child were wiped out just as God separates us from the debt of our sins. But the privileges that come with adoption are numerous. But let me just, let me just share with you just a few so you can see what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. First of all, we have a relationship with God our Father with open access to His presence. We can come into the presence of our Heavenly Father and we can lift up our needs to Him. We can pray to Him. We can praise Him. We no longer need a human high priest to go and act on our behalf because we have the heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ. And so we can come immediately into his presence. But also in those times when we feel isolated and alone, God promises that he will never leave nor will he forsake us. That, that he cares for us when others seem to abandon us. But secondly, we also see that we have God's care and provision, both materially But especially spiritually, he has given us everything we need. That God will give us everything we need. We've seen that this morning from remembering Matthew 6. The lilies of the field and the birds of the air. But God cares so much for us that he is even willing to eliminate anything that distracts us from him. If worldly things keep us from him, he will keep worldly things from us that he is so faithful and jealous that we have what is best. Third, we have the privilege of God's fatherly discipline as he leads us out of sin and folly. God will not compromise in giving his children the best of the best. So if we set our hearts on lesser things, like I said, worldly possessions or other things, or if we rebel against God and his will, he will not fail to correct us and discipline us so that our affections may be drawn to him. He loves us that much. And fourth, we become heirs of all our Father's treasures and even of His glory forever. You know, it's interesting that the world cannot touch it. The world cannot touch the treasures that we have. So no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's going on in our relationships with others, no matter what we feel in our body, whether it be sickness and weakness and the difficulties that can sometimes come, there is nothing Nothing on this world that can touch those treasures. And so they cannot be taken away from us. And we can rest in them and know that we are loved by God. And finally, we receive an adoption acceptance as beloved brothers with Christ Jesus, which we're going to talk about more in the weeks ahead. But brothers and sisters, our adoption is something that we need to remember often. By nature, we were a disgrace before God, having nothing in common with God's nature. But in his love, God predestined us for adoption. And therefore, Jesus took up our flesh to make us holy without blemish, to make us fit to be his brothers. But we but he has also given us the rest of our lives to learn about this blessing, to to take possession or to understand the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ and what it means to belong as as sons of God and is doing so that we could uh, long to please our Heavenly Father. I heard of a, a true story where a Christian couple had tried to have children, but they couldn't, and so they wanted children so badly that they began to to pray about it, and uh, and as they did, they concluded that they were going to adopt a child, and so they were driven by sort of this this great love within themselves and a longing for a child, and they were also motivated by God's picture of adoption of us. So they they made applications and. And they satisfied all the requirements to adopt a child. And finally, they received a picture of the little girl that would be theirs. And all they had was this photograph, but they poured all their love into that child. They gave that child a name. Even though they had never met that child, they prayed for that child. They started to buy all the things, you know, in the nursery and everything that they would need when they brought that child home. And so here is this orphan child in a faraway country without parents and totally oblivious to the great love moving in the hearts of these Christians for that little girl. Well, the time came for this husband and wife to, to depart and to go pick up their little girl and so they, they arrived in this foreign country uh, but there were problems with their travels. When they got there, they met with the, the medical officers who suggested that There were terrible problems in this baby's health and was dissuading them from maybe adopting this child. At one point, even there was another family who was trying to take this child away from them and adopt this child out from under them. And after days of persisting and working through the system, they finally came before the the country's officials to plead that they were fit to adopt this child. And there was a lot of obstacles, a lot of expense, a lot of problems. But what brought them through all of that, it was their great love for that child. And finally, that love won, and with great joy, that baby came home to be their daughter, to, be, to lavish their favor and to enter into the joy of their home. Now, what think what it took for God's love to win through In your adoption. God faced greater barriers than distance or bureaucracy. He faced the obstacles of our sin, right? And not only of our sin, but of our sin against his own holy justice. But with links he pursued us that we might be his beloved child. And he sent his natural son into the world to take up our sin and to bear the cross. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Do you hear that? That's you. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is you. You. This is the price of God's love that he would pay to take away our sins and make us his child. It is the precious blood of the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world, as John says in Revelation 13.8. Brothers and sisters, this is the pursuing love of God that crosses the ocean of time and an almighty grace takes you as his precious child. Once again, look at what Paul says in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. How else can we respond but to cry out to him with childlike love and to return calling him father and taking our place with joy as the sons of God? And let us... Let our words be that of what Paul was. Look at verse 6. He goes, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us and the beloved. A Scottish preacher by the name of Eric Alexander uh, expressed the kind of response that we ought to have in a, a hymn that he wrote. He says, Your saving love has triumphed, Lord, your grace has conquered me. Now pardon. Listen to this. This is all past tense. Now pardon, cleansed, redeemed, and restored. I lift my heart in worship, Lord, your yielded child to be. Oh, let that be our attitude towards our God as we think that He not only planned for our salvation as Father. But He chose us and He predestined. He worked all things according to the counsel of His will to cause us to be His children, to be adopted. You are great, more greatly loved than you imagine if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are not here today and you don't know that love, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to talk to you after the worship service. Our God is a great God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Let's take just a moment and have a time of silence as we meditate upon the Word of God that was preached this morning. Our Father, as we come to you this morning, we, we are overwhelmed by your Word to think that you could love those who were once hostile to you, your very enemies, even those as your children who still oftentimes seek after attention and affection in sinful ways. You continue to set your love upon us as your adopted sons. I pray, God, that you would help us to understand and to walk in this mighty salvation that you have planned for us even before we were even a glimmer in our Father's eye. Father, I pray that you would cause us to to love you more completely and fully, Lord, but also that more so you would help us to understand how completely that we are loved as well. And I pray, Father, that even this week as we are tempted to turn from the left or to the right away from your word and your will Lord to act in a way that would be sinful against you that would dishonor your name that you would bring to, tr- to mind this great love that you have for us and help us to walk trusting in you that you have given us everything we don't have to look somewhere else uh, to find our significance or our identity It is that which is given to us by the Father through the Son and applied by the Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you for this in your name. Amen.